Amen. Good morning, and it's so good to see you in church. Can I tell you what I'm excited about? Uh, I got to be here again for the second service, and I get to hear them sing that song a second time. I'm pretty jacked up over that. Uh, listen, I- I'm glad you're here. I come this morning with some really, really good news. If my calculations are correct, uh, Donnie, 19 days from now, we're going to wake up and 2020 will be over. <laughs> I, come on, I think I, we need a, yeah, there you go. <laughs> 2020 has been a year of change. Unforeseen, confusing, and what seems to me to be constant change. Navigating 2020 has been like walking on shifting sand. At times it has felt that uncertainty has been our only certainty. Now as this year has wound down, I found myself asking some questions. Can I find firm footing on the shifting sands of our culture? In a climate of instability, is there anything I can cling to? for stability. Is there anything I can count on, anything I can be sure of when 2020 is finally in the rearview mirror? Is there anything that will remain unchanged? Well, I found the answer to that question in the Bible, and the answer is yes. I can find firm footing when my culture is constantly changing. I can remain stable in the midst of a climate of instability. Yes, there's something I can count on. There is something I can be sure of. Yes, there is something, and perhaps I should say someone, who will remain unchanged. Look at this statement I found in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse number 6. I want us to read this, and I was hoping it would pop up on that screen on cue. There it is. Look at this. God says of himself, I am the Lord, and I do not change. Our God is the same today as he was on January the 1st, 2020. He hasn't changed at all, David. Nor will he ever change. Which means that God is still, how would you finish that sentence? God is still what, Ronnie? Well, I'm going to tell you a story found in the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter number 4. And then we're going to finish that sentence. So you ready for a Bible story? It's going to feel like Sunday school all over again. Our story centers around a man named Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon. During his reign, he was the most powerful and the most prosperous man on the earth. He wasn't a godly king. Now, we've done a lot of research about David, who was a godly king. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't godly, which means he didn't have a personal relationship with God. The goal of his life, the goal of his leadership was not to please God. Yet one day, he sent an interesting proclamation throughout his entire kingdom. And I want us to read it together. Look what he said to these people. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he said, Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders, the Most High God. Now, that's a key phrase. 
Who's he talking about here? He's talking about our God. The real God. He said, I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom, key word, will last how long? Forever. His rule, another key word, through all generations. What's Oneb saying to his folks? He's saying, I want you to know who I give all the credit to. For everything I have, you know, everything I, I do for the position I've been given, the authority I've been I want you to know that it is all a gift from God the Most High. Right? He's giving God the credit, even though he didn't know God. Shortly after that, old Neb had a dream. And it scared him. And so he called all of his wise men in. He told them what the dream was in the hopes that they could interpret it. And not one could do it. Alas, a man named Daniel came walking into the room. And I've got to tell you something. Oh, Daniel did know God. He and God had something going on. God would give Daniel insight, understanding, and wisdom uh, beyond human ability. Nebuchadnezzar knew this. And he said, thank goodness, Daniel, you arrived because I know that God is in you. And I know that he talks to you. And I know that he shows you things. And, and I just believe you're going to give me the interpretation of my dream. And Daniel said, okay, shoot, tell me what it was. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, this is what I dreamed. I dreamed that there was this tree that grew right up out of the middle of the earth. And it was huge. It just towered over everything and everybody. He said, birds nested in its branches. Wild animals lived in its shade. The whole world was fed from its fruit. And one day, an angelic messenger descended from heaven and said, cut the tree down. Lob off its branches. Shake off its leaves and its fruit. Scatter the birds. Scatter the wild animals. Uh, all you're to do is to leave the stump and leave the roots in the ground. And then the angel said, let him. Well, he's addressing a tree with a personal pronoun here. You know what he's, you know what he's in, in saying here is the tree represents someone. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and, and live out in the woods and the fields with the wild animals. For seven years, he won't think like a human. He's going to think like an animal. Why would this happen to any person? Well, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, the angel went on to say, This is why this is going to happen. So that everyone may know that the Most High, did you catch that again? Rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Daniel immediately knew what the dream meant. And it bothered him. So the Bible said he sat there for a while in complete silence. Nebuchadnezzar finally said, look man, I know that you know. I can tell by the look on your face. Shoot straight with me. 
what does this mean? Daniel said, King, I wish that this dream was about somebody other than you. But the man that this tree symbolizes is you. Now get this. Anybody, anybody ever listen to Johnny Cash? Anybody listen to Johnny Cash? He's got this morbid, dark song that I love. It says, God's going to cut you down. Have you ever, you, has anybody ever heard that? God's going to cut you down. This is, what, this is what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. He said it with a broken heart. God's about to cut you down. He's about to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to take your sanity away from you. You're going to, you're going to think like an animal, not a human. And then you're going to start behaving like an animal. You're not just going to live among the animals. You're going to act like an animal. You'll even eat grass like cows. For seven years, you won't be king. You won't even have a roof over your head. And I'm going to tell you why this is going to happen. God's teaching you a lesson. That he, not you, is in charge. But now, there's good news. That's bad news, right? The good news is, the stump's left with the roots in the ground. Which means, after seven years of this humiliation, he's going to restore your sanity and restore, restore you to the throne. And then he gave him some great advice. He said, here's what I'd do. Rather than allowing God, putting God in a situation where He's going to humble me, I'd humble myself. I'd turn my back on my wicked past. I'd stop sinning and I'd start treating people the way they deserve to be treated. And maybe if you did this, God would not cut you down. A year passed. I want you to think about how radically different this was. One day, Nebuchadnezzar walked out on the roof of his palace. He looked out over ancient Babylon, which was a spectacle to behold. And he said, look at what I have built with my own hands. I did this. I get the credit for this. I didn't only do this, this was done for me to glorify me in the eyes of men. And the Bible said, before the words were out of his mouth, a voice spoke from heaven and said, Whoa, it's time for class to start. And the Bible said, within the hour, judgment fell upon him, he lost his sanity. He lost his throne, he lost his crown, he lost his kingdom, lost his palace, lost his authority. He lost everything. He took off running out into the woods. And he ate grass like a cow for seven years. And the Bible said while he was out there, his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers. And his fingernails and toenails grew so long they looked like the talons on a bird. 
You say, you making this stuff up, Ronnie? Are you making this up? No, I'm not. Daniel 4, you can look at it this afternoon. After seven years of this, I want you to look what happened. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, 35, and 37. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. I'm telling you, ma'am, uh, being on rock bottom ain't always a bad place to be, huh? When you've only got one direction to look, it, it can be very uh, therapeutic. He said, I looked up to heaven, my sanity returned. I want you to look what he did. He said, I praised. Now, that's a key word. We're going to come back to it. And I worshipped who? The Most High. And I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. And His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth, it got to be including no Neb in this, right? All the people of the earth are nothing compared to Him. He does as He pleases among the angels of heaven. We probably already knew that, but look at this. And among the people of the earth, He does as He pleases. No one can stop Him. Did you see that? Or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? In other words, God doesn't answer to anybody. Now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and glorify, another key word, take note of it, and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are true. I want you to listen to this. In testimony meetings, I guarantee you, he said this over and over and over again, and he is able to humble the proud, right? He can cut you down to size. So that story in mind, let's back up and let's see if we can finish that sentence. God is still... Say that again. On the throne, God is still... In control, God is still... Huh? The Most High. Oh man, I'm loving it. You know what we're doing? We're giving God praise here. We're glorifying God, aren't we? You know the way I finished it? Because I kind of struggled as God... He's still king of heaven, right? God is still the ruler. I, I kind of thought, I liked it like this. God is still in charge. Let's run with that one. Six times in Daniel 4, God is referred to as the most high or the most high God. Uh, Ronnie, what does that mean? Can I give you my definition, which is actually a composite now of my feeble thoughts? combined with two of the greatest theologians that ever lived, Arthur Pink and A.W. Tozer. Here's my definition. What does it mean, God is most high? God is called the most high because he is infinitely elevated above the highest ranking human being. Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful man, the most powerful man on earth. It appeared he had unlimited authority. But old Neb learned an important lesson the hard way. No matter how much authority you've been given, there's somebody who has authority over you. God. 
doesn't matter how far up the ladder you climb, look up and you'll see that there's someone way higher than you. God. God is the Most High. He's the Lord of both heaven and earth. He is subject to no one. Influenced by no one. And He answers to no one. God doesn't have to seek anybody's permission or explain Himself or apologize. As the Most High, God does as He pleases, only as He pleases, always as He pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop Him. No one can hinder Him. God is on the throne of the universe directing all things and working all things out according to his eternal purpose. Who was it said God was someone of y'all said God is still on the throne? Who said that? A while ago. He's still on his throne. That's exactly what this means. God is on the throne of the universe directing all things and working all things out according to his eternal purpose. Through seven years of humiliation, Nebuchadnezzar learned that God was in charge. Well, if God never changes, you know what that means, don't you? God's still in charge. In light of that fact, how should we respond? Got it? God is still totally in charge of all the affairs of heaven and all the affairs of earth. How do we respond to that? As I, as I contemplated that question, there were three words that came to my mind. I called them the three R's. So what's the first R? R, number one, is respect. When Nebuchadnezzar learned that God was indeed the Most High, how did he say he responded? He said that he praised God. The Hebrew word translated into our English word praised means literally to bow or to kneel before someone in authority in order to show them proper respect. Wow, that certainly seems appropriate, doesn't it? Recognizing that God has all authority, recognizing that he's still in charge, I think we should treat him with the utmost respect. Second R was relinquish. Nebuchadnezzar said that he also glorified the Lord. That Hebrew word translated into the English word glorified means to lift up or to promote When Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God had been, was still, and always would be in charge, he gave God a promotion. You see, Nebuchadnezzar recognized that for quite some time, he had been occupying God's seat. So out of respect for God, he got out of God's place, and he put God back on the throne where God had always belonged. I guess we could say it like this, Nebuchadnezzar submitted to God's authority. It may be well worth our while to do as Nebuchadnezzar did and examine our life. There's a real good chance we might find ourselves sitting in God's seat. Perhaps when it comes to our life, we feel we deserve to be in charge. Well, we might want to rethink that. That's not respectful. That's arrogant. 
And remember what old Nebuchadnezzar said. God is able to humble the proud. So here's what I think we ought to do. Out of respect for God's authority. Why don't we relinquish the throne of our life to God? R number three, relax. Now, I want you to listen to me. If God is still in charge, what should we do? We ought to respect Him the way He deserves it. We ought to relinquish the throne of our life and put Him in control. He, that position belongs to Him alone. I think we ought to relax. COVID-19 is not in charge. A pandemic is not in charge. I don't care who goes into the White House. Neither the Republicans or the Democrats are in charge. Your employer isn't in charge. The supervisor who refused to give you a raise, he or she is not in charge. The spouse who left you isn't in charge. God is still in charge. Your life, my life, our world, our future is in the loving capable hands of a good God so, so don't worry just trust don't give up don't give up just wait don't panic just relax God is still in charge And he's got this. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you are our God. And that you're in charge because we can trust you. There are politicians, Lord, we can't trust. There are people we can't trust. And oh, how much trouble we would be in if they were in charge. But they're not. God, you're in charge. So this is what I pray, Lord. I do pray that each and every one of us will examine our lives our behavior, our thoughts. And if we are not treating you with the utmost respect, I pray that will change. I pray that if we examine our lives and find that we are sitting on the throne of our life, we are calling the shots, that it's all about us and what we want, I pray this, Lord, that we'll step down and give you the promotion you're due. And put you on the throne of our life. I guess the last one is the big one for me. At this point in our world and in our country, in our county, and in our community. God, we need to relax. 
understanding that you are still in charge, still calling the shots. You're still steering the ship. You know where you're going. You know how to get there. And I pray that because we trust you, that we will just relax knowing that you've got this. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. Thank you for being here. Hey, have a great week, and I'll catch you next time.